0: Good evening. Thank you all for coming. I want to thank, of course, David Solomon, who continues to set this up with uh, the wonderful idea, again, of nourishing the body to nourish the soul. Obviously, the show must be getting better and better. The Ellen keeps on coming. I want to thank uh, Tarany Time for recording, and to, to Yasi Botnik and for Live Yourself for manning the camera. This week's parsha, Parsh Kisisa, is a parsha that contains a very tragic episode of the eagle. will leave them bringing the eagle, amazing thing—we just received the Torah, and yet we brought the eagle. So I remember hearing there was once a yeshiva, a kirov organization yeshiva was sending out their students, their bachrim, to houses to see how Shabbos is. And they sent two Tamidim to a yeshiva, to a, to a house. And he comes there, and the Balabas really took care of him. They came up to the Suda. After the fish, they had a lechayim, the good bronchman. And then it came later to the chicken, to the meat. And again, they had some good stuff to drink. There was a sholm that night. They went there. There's plenty to have to drink there as well. Shabbos day, comes to Shul with him, there's a beautiful Kiddush. Had to drink there as well. And the same thing when they came home by the Suda, after the fish, and again, no control, they had plenty of what to drink. And the fellow had a wonderful time. Sunday, he comes back to the Yeshiva. And the fellow there says, no, so say, how was Shabbos? He says, I'll tell you, I still can't figure out why they're not allowed to turn on a light. But I understand perfectly well why they can't drive. On Chavez. So, sometimes we think, what's the cause and effect of things? We have to realize everything has a cause, everything has an effect. And in this parsha, we see that very strongly, this cause and effect. We see that later, towards the end of the parsha, as we'll see, ha- Moshe is forgiven, brings forgiveness somewhat to Kla Yisrael. And he tells him as follows, he says at the end of the parsha, if I found favor in your eyes, show me your ways, Hashem. Moshe wants to know, how does Hashem run the world? And Hashem says he can't tell him. And then again he asks Hashem to please show him how he runs the world. And then finally at the end, he speaks to Hashem, upon him, face to face, so to speak. And he asks Hashem again, let me see. And he says, no, you can't see my face. Nobody can see my face and live. But finally he tells him as follows. He says, you know, I'll tell you what, you can come next to me, and there's a rock. You can stand on the rock. And when I pass by the rock, I'm going to go with my hand, I'm going to cover your eyes. And the posseg says, I will then remove my hand. a You'll see my back. But, ufanei yero. You're not going to see my front. What does it mean you're going to see my back and not my front? So the Chassam Sefer explains with a well-known explanation, a well-known explanation as follows. He says, Usually we read, we lay in Parashat Kisisa Purim time. It's a very interesting halacha Purim time. And it says, if you read the Megillah backwards, you're not Yaitzah. Now, it's a very interesting halacha. If you read anything backwards, you're not Yaitzah. If you read the instruction manual on a your computer, you're not going to run it. Everything, what do we read it backwards? How does that work? She says, the Megillah Esther, we know Megala Esther, is to reveal the hidden. And if you read the Megillah from the end, then you don't get that appreciation of how every string of events and how the effect that it had. If you read from the beginning, then you much more, as you get to the end of the Megillah, you see the Yad Hashem. And therefore, you have to read it that way. He says that when he was a, a young boy of about 14 years old, he was living in, in, uh, in Presburg. He went to Mainz, to the Yeshiva in Mainz. He was a young boy at the time. And we went to the yeshiva in Mainz. He saw that there was a person there in the house with him. It seems to be that the, the French came. And they conquered that city part of the, the French army. And they quartered them in different houses. In the same house that the Hassam Sefer was living in. As a young boy of about 14 years old. In 1776, there was a French soldier living there as well. And this French soldier was mesmerized by the Chassam Seifer. And he would often speak to him, ask him questions, and have long discussions. The Chassam Seyfer had no choice, he was a French soldier, and they were living in the same house. Eventually, after a few months, the French soldier moved on, and the Chassam Seifer remained another year, until he went back to a different yeshiva. But he never understood why well, I'd have to spend so much time, I came here to learn, why well, I'd have to spend so much time speaking to this French soldier. Approximately 30 years later, by uh, the war of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And again, the French came in. And the war was going on. And meanwhile, of course, the Jews, they have to make a living. They have to And they went into gun smuggling. So two guys together in a partnership went into gun smuggling. And they had an argument. So they came to Chassam Seifer for a ruling, for a Psaq. Chassam Sefer here's the argument. here's the shayla. And he passed in like one of them, the other fellow, who lost, was not very happy. See, he went to the military governor, and he told on the Chesam Seifer. he says, the rabbi of the town, he's busy with gun smuggling. He says, what are you talking about, he's a rabbi, what does he know from guns? So he pulls out the paper, the Psagdin, and he shows him. There's a whole court case going on, smuggling guns, how many guns, the whole story. And the Chesam Sefer signed on the bottom. So he got very angry, smuggling guns in the middle of a war, espionage, death penalty. And immediately they arrested the Ksam Seifer, And they brought him into this court case. He comes inside, and as he says, he records the story. There's a, a, a line of soldiers with their, so, with their swords drawn. Very, very frightening. And he has to walk between the two rows of them. And they, he comes to a place, he has to stand there in front of the judge. And there were a few judges over there. And he's looking at them and they're looking and he's very frightened. And all of a sudden the military judge looks at him and he says, Rabbi, don't worry about these, don't worry about these soldiers. They just do it to make you scared. It's a military court. That didn't help much. (laughs) Their swords are still drawn. And then the the judge says, you know what? No need to scare the rabbi. Put Put the swords away. They put the swords away. They have the court case. The court case is finished. The judges get up to go deliberate. On the way into his chambers, the chief judge, chief military judge signals to the Chassam Sefer to come closer. He says, come into my chambers with me. I want to clarify something in private. Comes inside, tells the Chassam Sefer to sit down. He says, tell me, do you recognize me? No. He says, I was that soldier that was with you all those years ago. They used to have those conversations with me. He says, I don't forget anything. He says, I know that you're not guilty. Don't worry about it, I'll take care of it, nothing to fear. And sure enough, he was found innocent of the charges. Says the Chassam Seifer, all those years I was wondering why I wasted that time. And indeed, the Baruch was setting it up, so 30 years later, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have this problem. So, what does it mean that things cause things to happen? And how does we see that in our parsha? How does it affect us in our parsha? So this is amazing incident with. Rav Meir Shapiro. We all know Rav Meir Shapiro built the Yeshiva Chachme Lublin in the 1920s. How did he get this Yeshiva? So one time he was running for Parliament, and he came to one of the cities, and he was driving around with a fellow. An Askin, this Asken's name was Rav Shmuel Eichenbaum. Shmuel Eichenbaum was a wealthy person, he's taking around Rav Meir Shapiro. And they passed by a property, and he points to the property and says, you know, that's, that's my property. I just purchased that property a few weeks ago. So Mayor is looking at it and he says, why'd you buy that property? He goes, it was a good deal. He says, but what specific purpose? No specific purpose, an investment, a good deal. So Mayor Shapiro says, you know, I have the perfect deal for you. The deal of a lifetime. He says, oh yeah, you have the deal of a lifetime? You know, I'm doing business for a while. It's got to be a really good deal to be the deal of a lifetime. He says, it is. He goes, so what's the deal? He says, I can't tell you now. Some deal, you can't tell me. So I want to speak to you in six weeks. He meets him again six weeks later, and he says, the deal is like this. I am building a yeshiva. I explained to him the yeshiva, and how big it will be, and the buck will get to eat in yeshiva. They'll be treated properly. They won't have to go scrounge around for food. So I need a property. And I realized, if you give me the front part of your property, that will be perfect for the yeshiva. He says, you want me to give you the front part of my large property that I bought for investment? He goes, yeah, that's the deal. Let me think about it. Give me a half hour. He goes off on his own for a half hour. Comes back a half hour later, says, Rabbi, no deal. I can't give you half of the property. If you want, however, I can make you a deal. Because, well, oh, you make it what's the deal? He says, if you take the whole property, I'll give it to you. But I'm not giving you half the he goes, what? The whole I'll give you the whole thing. He was very excited. They quickly went. They went to Bez and They wrote a star. He's giving the whole thing for the yeshiva. Everything was wonderful. Until she finds out. Mrs. Eichenbaum finds out. She hears about this. She goes over to her mayor Shapiro. She goes, "I wanted the entire. My husband gave it his big problem. I wanted the entire. What do you want the entire? I wanted the entire. So he had no choice. And they made it the entire. By the entire, he doesn't know exactly what she's going to say. She gets up and she says." My husband gave away this property. I'm a part owner. I also want to give away the property. I'm only asking that if you put that on the star, that I also gave away the whole property. Mayor Shapiro is thrilled. <laughs> sure, we'll change the star. They have to get a cipher, they changed the whole thing. They write it up, they put her name in it, that they gave it to the yeshiva. But after they did that, someone has to pay the cipher. Someone has to pay the court costs. So Mrs. Eichbaum says, okay, the court costs, it's my fault. I pledge, we have a hundred cows in our farm. I'm going to give from now till forever. All the milk that these cows generate will go to the yeshiva. That's what she said. A year and a half later, they had the ground breaking for this yeshiva. Over 50,000 people came into town to Lublin for this ground The Geri Rebbe came. The Belzer Rebbe sent his son-in-law. The Noviminsky the, 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 the Rebbe came. The, the Chotkivir Rebbe was there. They're all there. While this is going on, the tshatkevarevah turns to a Shmuel and he says, i am not mekanah you for this mitzvah, that you gave away your whole property for the yeshiva. He looks at him like, yeah, a lot of publicity, it's very nice, I'm not... What I'm really jealous of is the mitzvah that you did that led to this mitzvah that you're able to give away this property. I don't know what that mitzvah was, but that mitzvah must have been powerful. If the gereris mitzvah it can lead to is giving this property. That's what he told them. How, how, how strong it can be. Mitzvah, Gereris, Mitzvah. Unfortunately, the way the world works, there's also Aveira, Gereris, Aveira. So if we wonder, what's so bad that Kleiso did the Eagle? Now, Avitazar is bad, don't get me wrong. I'm also not for it. But the Yiddin did try Mitzrayim, too. So they did Avitazar, now it was right after Kabbalah, It's a terrible thing. But that they should be completely destroyed. Maybe the shot is. Is that Maish told them, I'm going up to Shemaim to get the Lukas, I'm coming back down. He's a few hours late, so we know what Rashi explains, what happened. And they went, they built the Ego, they needed somebody not to replace the Kaddish Baruch HaChas but to replace Myshe Rebeinu. What do you mean to replace Maish Rebeinu? said he's coming down. That was a terrible affair. You're going to go now, you're becoming a nation now, and you're not ready to trust in the Navi Hashem? That was a terrible Laveyur. And of course, that of air leads then to the eagle. But the real terrible part of the eagle was of how they came to do the eagle. That we see is, we see in this parasha this, this, this cause and effect of how bad it is. And the question is, what is that? Is that scharvainish? Is that what they call today cause and effect, or the fancy is causation? Is it a pratis? Ashkacha What is it? So today, the big word today is a shkakha pratis. Everything is a pratis. Somebody goes and he gets a green light. Everything is everything is a pratas. Is that the way it works? I mean when we talk about ashkakha pratas, I can tell you my best ashkakhar Pratis story. It's an amazing story. This morning I woke up. That's it. That's the story. It's a pretty good story. Not everybody woke up this morning. There are people who didn't wake up. It's a shakar pratice, no? When you tell that to people, it's somehow, it's a felt, it's not, that's not the story they're looking for. They're looking for some amazing story with a whole string of unbelievable events that send a chill down your spine. Wow, that's a shkakha pratis. You woke up this morning, you woke up yesterday too. who knows what will be tomorrow. So the real question is, you know, what's the real shkakha pratis story? As they say, you know, will, will the real shkakha pratis story stand up? What, what is a shkakha pratis that way? What are the stories people like to hear? So, I'll tell you a few of the standard Shkachar Pratah story. A friend of mine was waiting to get on a flight, and it was bad weather, and the flight before him was canceled, and now the waiting area is jammed, and he's waiting to get on the flight, and all the people before the flight are trying to get onto this flight. He doesn't have such a great ticket. His uh, number to be called his class is a very high number, so he's waiting his turn, waiting patiently. Comes time. They call his number. He gets up in line. And he notices he's, he's last in line. So he's waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, somebody comes running down and he cuts right in front of him. The guy gets very upset. My friend gets upset. Like, then he realize, you know what? I'm wearing a yarmulke. I, he didn't say anything. He comes to the ticket counter and he hears the ticket agent telling the guy in front of him, okay, sir, you got the last seat. Takes his uh, ticket, stamps it, and he goes on. My friend comes up. I have a ticket too. This is my flight. She says, oh, that was the last seat. She's looking at the computer. That was the last seat. Here's my ticket. She says, let me check. She puts it in. She goes, oh, okay, because of the situation, we're going to upgrade you to first class. Oh, he smiles. He walks in, and he walks right by uh, that fellow who took his seat, and he gets to the first class. Is that a Prata story? Or how about the story, famous story of Chaim Reza He wasn't feeling well. And he had to go, his doctor said, he has to go to the springs, to the hot springs. So he went there, but the doctor said, you have to stay until after Yom Kippur. couldn't believe he was going to be away from Vilna, away from Uzkela, till after Yom Kippur, he had no choice, his health. While he was here, after Rosh Hashanah, he's in one of the bath houses, and he meets a fellow, he's schmoozing with the guy, he says, what's doing, who are you? He says, well, he says, my brother passed away. And he left over his wife. And three kids on and three assignment. So I'm going to help. He says, oh, that's so nice. He says, yeah, I'm going to marry her. He's going to marry her? You don't want to marry your sister-in-law? See, so he looks at the not knowing who he is. He says, yeah, Maritz. So I'm missing the Tyre, Yibom. Of course I am. So Chaimaita looks at him and says, no, no, no. That doesn't apply when there's children, only when there's no children. He says, don't be ridiculous. It's a big chesed. There's three little kids. She says, of course I'm going. And gets turns white. He says, you're not allowed to do that? He said, listen here, mister, if the rab of Vilna tells me not to go, I'll listen, but nobody else. He said, ah, oh, shalom aleichem. my name is Chaim Ezekerzinski, the rab of Vilna. And he spoke to him and he explained to him, and he convinced him not to do it. He said, "Oh, now we know I was in Vilna. No, nope. and then I know I wasn't in Vilna. Is that a shkach of protest? There's a lot of these stories. You know, there's a, a group of Bakram a few weeks ago, decided to make a Shabbos in Svas. They're going to go to tzvahs for Shabbos. So, you got to go to a bunch of bochum, it costs money, you got to rent the van, you got to get a place, the food. So they made a cheshmer, it's going to come anywhere between four and 5,000 shekel. Okay, but if they have 12 guys, then they can do it. They go for Shabbos, they had a great time. One guy, of course, in every group, one guy is organizing everything. Shabbos is over, they're on the van, going back to Yushalayim. On the way back, the guy sits down, he makes a cheshmer, of how much everything costs, 4,656 shekel. Okay. He goes around, and divides it up by the Bakram, and he goes around collecting the money for everyone. He comes to one guy, he says, okay, you have the money. He says, uh, I don't have to give it to you. You don't have to give it to me. We're on the way back to a beautiful Shabbos. He says, look, I just learned the Gemara. The Gemara says, you're supposed to make Shabbos beautiful. Nice clothing, nice food. And if you don't have money, Hashem says, borrow on my cheshben. So, I heard everyone's going up to Tzvas. Aitaka don't have money. Hashem said, I should borrow on his husband." So I borrow on his husband. Go get your money from Hashem. The guy looks like he was nuts. He says, give me the money. He says, what? You don't believe in Hashem? He says, well, of course I believe in Hashem. You get the money from Hashem. I didn't borrow it. He says, I'm sorry. That's the Gemara says. I'm not giving it. Everyone starts arguing and screaming at him. And the guy is I'm not giving it. So the fellow who organized it, a little more mature. He was already a chasin. He was getting married in a few weeks. He says, look. I'm not going to get to fight with you, you owe me the money, finished. Anyways, they drop everyone off, the van drops everyone off, he comes home. And he comes home, his mother says, oh, I want you to know, when you left Arashavis, your caller came by, and she dropped off a gift. He opens up the gift, and it's a beautiful wallet, nice, genuine leather wallet. He opens up the wallet, and it's so thoughtful of her, she put inside one denomination of every bill and coin. He looks inside, there's a 200 shekel bill, a 100 shekel bill, a 50 shekel bill, a 20 shekel bill. Then he opens up the pocket, there's a 10 shekel coin, a 5 shekel coin, a 2 shekel coin, and a 1 shekel coin. I'm sure all the math wizards can figure out that equals to 388 shekel, which is exactly the amount that the boy owed. So the chas says, wow, Hashem really pay me back. He was all excited. The next day he comes to Yeshiva, before he can tell anybody what happened, the other bacher, who owed the money, comes over and says, you know, I was speaking it over with my parents, and they said I was terribly wrong, and they gave me the money to pay you. Here it is. He says, no, I already got paid. He says, what do you already got paid? I have the money to pay you. No, Hashem paid. And he tells him what happened. He didn't want to take the money. I got money directly from Hashem. I don't need your money. I'll tell you one more unbelievable story. This happened two weeks ago. For those that have gone to Cave you know you go to Cave today, you can get Mamash a whole Yadamelach. there's everything there. Years ago, it wasn't like that. Years ago, you walked through the sheep, you walked inside, not that long ago. A few years ago, someone donated a, a hot water urn, a percolator, so you can have some coffee or tea when you come there. And he did it with his aunt. His aunt, her name was Bina Bas Yuda Aryeh, she had no children, and she died. So he donated this urn, and he put a plaque on the urn. When you make a bracha, have her name in mind. It stayed there, everyone used it, it was beautiful. Three years ago, they, they, they redid a lot in, in Cave of there's a kill, there's a lot of stuff there, and they got rid of that percolator, that urn. And they put in the type of urn that fills up automatically. So every time the water goes down a certain amount, it's connected to the pipe, and the water goes in. Two weeks ago, that urn broke. And I was sitting there for a few years. Two weeks ago, that urn broke. There was no hot water. There was no coffee. So one of the guards there remembered that there was an old urn. So he opens up the cabin at the bottom. He sees the urn. Takes it out. Plugs it in. Fills it up with water. And they have coffee. And he calls up the, you know, you got to fix the, the regular urn. So they come down. They take it away. They're working on it. Two days later in the morning, they bring it back. They plug it in. And it works beautifully. And they take the old urn away. As it's taken away, the fellow notices the, the the lady's name on it, Bina Bas Yehuda Arye. She was lifted on Chav Dalid Shvat. The urn was broken on Chav Gimel Shvat. That's when they put this urn out, and they fixed it by Chav Hei Shvat, which means the full day of Chav Dalid Shvat. The urn on her yard site was there, and it got to be used, and she had the slichus for that day. No, she got so, the question is, what's a shkacha pratis? Getting up in the morning is a shkacha pratis? Or these unbelievable stories with an unbelievable string of events? Which one's a of pratis? So, the truth is, this is already an old, old machaikis, already 700 year old machaikis. The chinach writes as follows. The chinach writes there are three groups of people. The chinach in, in Mitzvah Kuf, Samach, Tess writes as follows. He says, there are three types of people. There are some people who say, that a Kodesh who watches everybody, every creation, Bein HaNashem, Kol Sha'ar That's one group. Then he writes as another group. He says, in this group, he writes a very interesting Lashem. He says, there are people who think that Kol HaShukach Al Kol Hashem watches every little thing that goes on. Whether it's alive, Bein Ba'alei Chaim, Bein dvaram or anything. Kalaimar, <laughs> this is very famous. Shulayif's <laughs> noyna nu dover echad katum mazeh, nothing happens, nothing moves without Hashem's will even a single leaf people think that way that even a leaf that falls off the tree is a shkacha. and you know what he says to that? it's a ridiculous thing to think that way that he worries about every leaf that falls off and he says, one more group, there are people who don't believe anything. And these people are kaiferim, that they believe that Hashem made the world and its cities out of it. That's what the Sefer Chinuch learns. In the Rambam, there's a big steer in the Rambam. And the Baal Shem says, that no, eh, yes, it's true, every single leaf has a shkacha. Every leaf that falls off, when it falls off, how far it blows when it falls off, and who steps on it. He once showed his Talmidim, he says, well, Come. And he followed a leaf as it was falling, and it was falling and falling, and it landed on the ground, then it blew, and they kept on following it, and then it went and it covered a worm that was baking in the sun. And the leaf covered the worm. So B'Av says, You see, every little thing is worried about by Kaddish Baruch. Hu. And the many rise both ways. The question is, what are they arguing about? There's no question the Chiddu believes in Hashem too. The Kinnah believes that the, the, the leaf that falls down, a Kesh Baruch wants it to fall down. So what's the practical argument that they're having if a leaf that falls down is an Ashkacha or not Ashkacha? What does that do with me? Let the, let the leaf go learn about it. There's nothing to do with us. There's no practical ramifications for us. So I was thinking that maybe the Peshat is as follows. That we know what is nature. We know what a miracle is. So what's nature? Nature, the Ramban says, nature is a miracle that happens every day. That's what nature is. Nature is a miracle that happens every day. You know, people drink orange juice in the morning. Where does orange juice come from? Oranges. Where do oranges come from? The tree. If I were to tell you that next week I'm organizing a tour, we're going to the South Pacific because I found an island over there where oranges are laid by chickens. Chickens lay oranges. And trees, you can get eggs. Eggs grow on trees. Really amazing. My tour would fill up right away. You're going to go see a tree and see, oran- uh, see uh, uh, eggs growing on a tree? You're going to see chickens laying oranges? Unbelievable. Is it any more different or amazing when we see oranges growing on trees here? Well, not here. Florida. Or if we see chickens laying eggs, why is that more amazing? The answer is, because it happens all the time. Says Bon, that's what a miracle is. A miracle is Nature that happens every day, that's what a miracle, that's what nature is. A miracle that happens every day. And therefore, Hashem, who is a Metiv, Hashem who wants to give to us so much. That's all He wants, He wants to be good to us. And therefore, Hashem can't reward us if we see Him in plain sight. So Hashem hides behind nature. And He peeks out here and there. But He hides behind nature, and this way, He can give us a reward. The more we look for Him, The more we find Him, the more we can have a relationship with Hashem. Perhaps that's what the Mechaikas is over here. Could you get close to Hashem through nature? Through observing nature? Or could you only get close to Hashem, learning Torah and doing mitzvahs in the traditional sense, so to speak? And they both have Mechaikas. It says in Pirkei Yavis, someone who's walking along the street and he stops and he says, What a beautiful tree. Why? You're in the middle of learning. Why are you talking about a beautiful tree? What do you mean I'm talking about a beautiful tree? Because I want to I thank Hashem. You're learning Torah. That's not Svarachashv. What does the Bel say? So we see in the every day. Every day Hashem goes and he continuously makes the world. You know, you go to, you go to blow up ride these big blow-up rides, and it's running beautifully for three hours, and all of a sudden, it starts to deflate. See so what happened? I don't know, I just unplugged the fan, and then it started to go down. Well, you can't unplug the fan. Why not? It's been up for three hours already. I still need to blow more air? It, you need to constantly blow in air. Even though the world was created already, it needs constant hashkocha from Hashem. What are the next words we say in Davening? We say, What are the next words? What are the next words? You want to know how to get close to Hashem? You recognize, Ma Hashem, How great is your world, Hashem. Perhaps that's what they're arguing about. So I was thinking, if you take these two things, you can see the two bookends of HaPratis. You HaPratis. Know, they say over the story of, of uh, Moshe Dayan. We all heard of Moshe Dayan. Moshe Dayan was, was before 1948. There were different groups of people fighting in Israel, and he ended up in Lebanon. And he was fighting over there in Lebanon, the Arabs. And there was an Arab sniper who took a shot at him. And he had his binoculars, and the sniper got him straight into the binoculars and went into his eye. And he couldn't leave, they were firing, and he lost vision in his eye. And he wore a patch on his eye. And even with that, he ended up becoming the general, General Dayan, Moshe Dayan. Well, after he finished his service in the army, he became the minister of defense. One time he's driving his car, and he's speeding. Well, a cop pulled him over. And a cock comes over all angry, the guy was driving so fast. And the guy opens his window and he looks inside and it's Minister Dayan. He says, Minister Dayan, he goes, you were speeding. He goes, yeah, apparently so. He says, you're going 180 kilometers a mile, uh, an hour. See, I was in a rush. He says, don't you feel you have to set an example for people? So Minister Dayan looks at him and says, Officer, I've got one eye. You want me to watch the speedometer? You want me to watch the road? What's the advantage if we have two eyes? You can still see with one eye. What's the advantage of two eyes? Anybody know the advantage of two eyes? What can you do with two eyes you can't do with one? Nobody? You have depth. You can see contours with two eyes. With one eye, it's very difficult. With two eyes, you can see depth. And that's what Hashem gives us with two eyes so we can see different things. We can see that not everything is black and white. Things have different contours to them, different textures to them, and different depth to them. So I want to tell you what I think are two bookends to Ashkoch HaPratas, and to how to appreciate things that happen. There was this lady in Montreal who was redoing her house. And she had a beautiful living room dining room that she redid, and now she needed a chandelier. So she spent day after day after day looking for a chandelier. Got to the point her husband's going crazy, couldn't live anymore. She wants a chandelier. Finally, he corners her and he says, What type of chandelier do you want? He says, She said, I want an aha chandelier. She says, What's an aha chandelier? He says, I want a chandelier. When people walk into my dining room, they say, Aha! That's what I want. No, nope, go find such a chandelier. She looks, she looks, she looks, she spent five months looking for the chandelier. Finally, Khazde Hashem, she finds the chandelier. They hire someone to put it up. Life gets back to normal. She's happy, so he's happy. And life goes on. This was in December. At the end of January, she was out in the Montreal freezing cold shopping. Her, her daughter, and her little baby. They finish shopping, they come inside. And she has a baby, she has groceries. So she goes into the dining room, she puts the baby down and she takes the groceries into the kitchen, and she starts to put the things away. A few minutes later, she hears a loud crashing sound. She runs into the dining room, and she sees her big, beautiful, magnificent chandelier came crashing down. At that point, she did not care at all about her chandelier, because it fell right on top of the baby that she left on the table in the car seat. She let out a yell, her daughter comes running, and they both quickly try to lift the heavy chandelier off the baby. They lift it off, scared what they're gonna see. The baby was still wearing her snowsuit, completely covered, it's called bunting, completely covered in the snowsuit from the freezing cold outside. She never took it off from her yet, so she can warm up in the house. They quickly unzip it, from the top down unzip it. The baby is still sleeping. She couldn't believe it. The mother starts crying tears of joy. Three weeks later, they had a da in the house. They dabbed in a shul called Maragayla. In Montreal. The rov over there is the uh, Skelon Rabbi's son, Sha'afu And he got up to speak. And he said the following. He said, isn't it amazing? For whatever reason, we don't know Hashem's reasoning, but for whatever reason, Hashem decided that this family should lose a considerable amount of money. They put a lot of money into the chandelier, and they lost it all. But what a chesed Hashem did, that from now on, every single time they say over the story, how they lost their chandelier and all the money, they're going to say it with a smile and with gratitude in their hearts to how Kaddish Baruch Hu saved their daughter. Isn't that an element of al Pratis to realize that everything Kaddish Baruch Hu does, whether it sends a chill down your spine, or whether you get up in the morning, or you didn't trip on the way to work, all that is al Pratis. What Hashem does is always good, because Kaddawi Rahmana, the Tav of it, it's always good. You know, the Chobetz Chaim once met somebody, he says, how are you? He says, ah, doing bad, not good. He says, you can't say that. He says, don't ask me how I am, that's how I am, I'm bad. So he says, no, no, no. You can say, I'm bitter, it's painful, I'm having a difficult time. You can't say bad. The Kodesh doesn't do anything bad. You want to say it's not so good? You want to say it's painful, it's bitter, that you can say. You know, it's like a person goes to a dentist. You go to a dentist. It hurts, it's painful, but it's not bad. You're even paying the person. But it's for your benefit. That's what a Kaddish Baruch Hu does. That's one end of a shikachot protest to remember that everything a Kaddish does is for our benefit. Everything. Because, as I often say, there's one word that Hashem never says. Oops. Hashem never says, I can't believe I did that to the person. I forgot all that. It doesn't happen. If something happens to somebody, it's exactly and specific for that person. What's the other side of the bookend? of Meshkoch HaPratis. There's a fellow who lived in Yerushalayim. As a bacher, he used to learn in the yeshiva in Ashdod. And even after he got married, he was there in Caliphate for two years, and then he moved back to Yerushalayim with his wife to Yerushalayim. But at least twice a year, he would go back to his Rebbe in Ashdod during his Shresthimei and before Pesach. To say hello, speak to him. So one year, it was three days before Yom Kippur, during his He got on a bus to go to Ashdod to meet his rabbi. He's very happy. He gets on the bus. The bus wasn't such a full bus. He gets a seat. No one's next to him. He sits down. He has a little gomar, He's getting comfortable. And at the corner of his eye, he sees there's an aisle away. And the next seat, there's a person sitting there. And the person gives him a big smile. He looks at the person. He sees his big smile. The guy's missing most of his teeth. So he thinks to himself, What are you smiling about? Do you see how you look? What are you smiling for? So he gives him a little smile back and he takes out his Gemara and he starts learning. It only took a few seconds for the fellow to realize, What kind of ugly person am I? What kind of disgusting person am I? A yid goes, he gives me a smile for hello, and they start to think these negative thoughts about him. So he closes Gemara, he turns to the fellow. Six sticks out his hands, Shalom Aleichem, Guys guy shalom. Aleichem he introduces himself, the fellow tells him his name, they start to talk a little, and now he figures he was Matthias and he appeased him, and after five minutes he says, okay, very nice, Yen Kippur's coming, I better get back to the Gemara. So the other fellow says, yeah, yeah, Yen Kippur's coming, Yen Kippur's coming, this year Yen Kippur's going to be easy. So the fellow looks at him and says, this year Yen going to be easy. And Kivr is the same every year, 25 hours, it gets hungry, you look at your watch, and time doesn't move, and that's it. He says, no, 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 this year in going to be easy. He says, what does that mean? He goes, oh, it's a long story, you're busy, you have to go learn. He says, no, 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 tell me the story. <laughs> okay. He says, you know, I grew up in the Soviet Union. We all know what went on in the Soviet Union, we lost so many thousands, and tens of thousands of Yidden over there. But they tried very hard. So he says, I didn't know how to learn really. But I was able to get hold of Svaram that people smuggled in. And I would give it out to people who were teaching, secretly teaching children Tyra. One day I was caught. I was dragged in front of a judge. I was found guilty of counter-revolutionary actions. And I was sent to Siberia for nine years. Hard labor. I came to Siberia, I quickly realized there's very little escape from here. And it's hard work. I had to work every single day. I had to work Shabbos too. My life was in danger. Two days a year, you would get off, Lenin's birthday, and Stalin's birthday, and that's it. We were getting close to Yom Kippur, and I decided that no matter what happens, I'm going to fast on Yom Kippur. I don't care what happens. My friend said, You're crazy. You, you can't fast on Yom Kippur. You have to work. You won't make it. They're going to kill you. Your life's in danger. You're not allowed to do that. I said, I don't care. It's bad enough for work in Shabbos. I'm not fasting on Yom Kippur. Of course, I realized if I fast on Yom Kippur, I won't be able to work either, but that's too bad. I have to. So a friend comes over to me and says, you know, I have an idea for you. I heard what you're planning to do. I have an idea. There's an infirmary here. If you can get yourself into that infirmary, for one day you'll get off. So I came up with this idea. We finished work at Yerim Kipper. We're walking back to the camp, to the barracks. And I started yelling and screaming in pain, my two-thirds, my two-thirds. So the officer sent me to the infirmary. I come inside the infirmary. There's the doctor. Probably never saw a medical book in his life, but he was the doctor. He says, What's wrong? I said, My tooth hurts. He goes, Which tooth? I pointed a tooth. He takes out a pliers, hold on, he yanks the tooth right out. Now I really wasn't in pain. But I didn't have to go to work the next day. I had off that young kipper. I stayed in the barracks and I fasted the whole young kipper. The next year, I said, You know, it's such a great idea. So I did the same thing. Every young kipper, I started yelling, My tooth hurts. I went to the infirmary, which tooth, pointed a tooth, the guy yanked it out, and I'd often yankipper. kipper. I did that for eight Yen kippers. Every Yen kipper that yanked had a tooth. And I didn't have to fast, I never ate a Yen Kippur. I got out of before the next Yen Kippur, and I was able to come to Eretz This is my first Yen kipper in Eretz Yisrael. It's going to be an easy Yen kipper. they're not going to have to pull out any teeth in order for me to fast. Now this fellow turns and looks at him and he sees his big smile now. And he sees now, not an ugly smile of somebody missing teeth. He sees a beautiful, holy smile. Unbelievable. What changed? The answer is, and now he knows the whole story. And now he knows the story between behind that smile. And he was so impressed and so moved by that holy smile that he saw. And that's the same thing with us. A Kadish Baruch Hu does things for us, not to us, he does things for us. Called Dalvi Rahman al top of it. But we don't know the whole story oftentimes. And therefore we get upset. How come it's not working out this way? How come it's not working out that way? If we understand that everything Karish Bahu does for us is for our benefit. And perhaps those are the two bookends of Ashkaka Pratas of everything that happens. That we realize that everything that happens with the knowledge that Hashem holds us in his embrace, all we have to do is open our hearts and our eyes, both of them, and to see what a Baruch Hu does for us. Have a wonderful Shabbos.